Well, this is it. Episode 61, Crescendo. The final episode of the European season, really. I mean, yes, the Champions League still has to be played. There are a few games that need to be taken care of for promotions, relegations, different things like that. But overall, it is finally done. 2020, 2021, the year with no fans is finally finished. It, it, it was an amazing time because of how bizarre an alternate universe it felt like. But then when everything was starting to get just so stale and everything was starting to feel depressing and isolated, the Super League thing woke us all up. The fans football spring, as I like to call it, bloomed to really give us optimism for the future of football as it's going to happen this summer. And I'm telling you, this is going to be a huge summer. I mean, we've got a lot of moving and shaking that's going to happen. I know that a lot of clubs are still are, are short on money, but with fans being able to come back into the grounds, the projections are going to be we can make some investments. And then a lot of teams have to just shed players, have to get rid of dead weight. Players are going to go on a contract. A lot of moving and shaking is going to happen. There's so many teams that need to rebuild, big teams that need to rebuild. So the future of football, I think, does look bright. The international tournaments coming up this summer are going to be very, very exciting from Copa America. Will Messi will Messi get his win? Uh, the Euros, who who knows how that's going to go, who's going to win, but it's, it's going to be very, very interesting for sure. And then you get the Olympics, where I think the women's game will really be on show, and that'll be a lot of fun because the United States is not a shoe-in to win that competition anymore. It, 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 there's a lot, a lot there to see, and uh, this is going to be a fun summer of football for sure. Now, if we just double back to the weekend here real quick before I start to get in a little bit further out bird's eye view to talk about some of the way the year went, this weekend, the drama across some of the leagues was excellent. Look, what happened on decision day in, uh, I like to call it that, that's what they call it in the in uh, the MLS, and I love it, decision days. Everything is decided. So the top four places finally got really put together in all the European spots. But it was really surprising to see Leicester lose 4-2 to Spurs and for Chelsea to lose 2-1 to Aston Villa and still be able to qualify for the Champions League. Leicester being pushed off to the side because Liverpool got their win, which is huge. Probably the most difficult season of Jurgen Klopp's career as a coach, I can only imagine, because all those injuries, all the expectations, death in the family, it has really, really been something. So for Liverpool supporters, I'm sure the future looks really bright. you got people coming back from injury. I'm sure there's going to be some signings coming in that are going to be exciting. So, yeah, I think uh, England had a really, really weird year because Man City marched to the title, but in a very un-Man City way, grinding out results almost. And this was a, a pattern across Europe. A lot of leagues, the big teams just weren't as good or fell away or had problems. We look in Italy. Inter Milan were able to beat Juve to the title because Juve sort of just fell apart this season. Napoli, Atalanta, AC Milan, Lazio, Roma, they all came back to get really involved in everything that was going on in title hunts and Champions League spots. Inter win the title. Napoli blow it on the final day to get to the Champions League. Had they won, Juve would be in the Europa League next season. They drew with Elas Verona. Juve beat Bologna without Cristiano Ronaldo. Very important. He was rested for the game. I really don't understand that because Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't rest on a final day of a season. And Milan beat Atalanta to also qualify for the Champions League. A huge achievement for them. And it's it makes Italy come back. I mean, Italy's back. Next season, I, we have absolutely no idea who's going to win the title. And we can go into it saying, maybe not Juve. So I, that'll be really, really fascinating. 
it, we got a rebirth as well in Spain. Atletico de Madrid finally were able to collect another title. They beat Osasuna 2-1. Huge props to Diego Solo, Cholo Simeone and Luis Suarez. Yeah, every member of that team deserves credit. I think Yannick Carrasco, big revival for him after coming back from China. I think a lot of people thought, oh, everyone who goes to China goes to China to kill their football career and just collect a bunch of money. But he came back and has been an integral part of this side. Marcus Llorente, brilliant. I, overall, I just think it's it's a great story to have seen. And it's important when this kind of thing happens, right? Juve had a bad year, intercapitalized on it. Barcelona, Real Madrid, bad, bad seasons. Atletico, they just, but they did capitalize on it. And Lille as well in the French League. Lille were able to beat PSG to the title. I mean, this is huge. If you knew nothing about this club or very little about this club before, you do now. You're paying attention now. This is I'm wearing the jersey right now. Uh, I've been wearing it for the last 24 hours because yesterday they went, beat Angers 2-1 to win the French title. It was a really emotional moment for me because... I was thinking about my uncle Jacques, who is really the only football fan from my French side of the family. And this is my mom's brother, and he passed away three years ago. And I remember when I was a kid, he used to always write down the full standings of Ligue 1 and Ligue 2. And he would, I mean, the full standings, right? Every team's record, goals for, goals against. You know, who won the title, who's getting relegated, who's getting promoted. He always used to give this to me as, you know, sort of like a gift when I would come and visit France in the summers. And he's somebody who did see them win the title back in 2011, 2012. He's not around for this one. Uh, my mom brought down a photograph of him. We set it next to my computer during during the, next to the screen to watch the game. And we both, you know, we were out planting my garden, you know, keeping an eye on on the game as it went. And... 2-0 at halftime, you're just feeling like, okay, this, this, we're going to be okay. Giving away set pieces late in the second half that, that got you really worried. They give up a goal with 30 seconds to go to make you just itch just a tiny bit more. And then finally the whistle blows. I mean, what an amazing achievement for this club. They, they have beaten a club that has all the riches in the world, right? PSG to a title. And it's just such a healthy thing for the French League. Leader, a club who are in a financial mess right now. They're a couple, they're a couple hundred million euros in debt, and so they're going to need to sell some of their players. And maybe it's some of the guys who are integral to this title charge, but maybe also not. I mean, Jose Font, huge, huge, huge inspiration. The captain, he's 34 years old. He's not being going to be poached by anybody. Barack Yilmaz, 34 years, 35 years old as well. Massive, massive component of this squad. Scored a ton of goals. Made a huge difference. Now maybe someone like Jonathan David or Bubakari Sumare or Renato Sanchez, Timothy Weah. There are some of these guys who probably will go this summer. But it'll save the club financially. And this title win, it just really solidifies Lille as one of the big clubs in France. I think this really helps them. And I'm sure my uncle would have been really proud to see this. So Jacques, the experience we had yesterday at least, that's that's for you. We felt that the whole time. It's not a fashionable city, Lille. It's not one of those places that you know for the wine or for anything or for food or anything in particular. It's a northern city with pretty bad weather, but it's a people's club, Lille. And the manager and the players just showed us something massive. And if you go and look at scenes from last night in Lille, I mean, it's pretty impressive. People were beyond, beyond stoked. I mean, it was an absolute party in the city. 
looks like when a team wins the World Cup. I mean, it was completely nuts. So, I mean, I think based on the year of football, it's try. it really is hard to encapsulate everything, right? When you want to do these like season reviews and which I had in mind, but it's very difficult to do that. So maybe in time, as the dust settles on these things, we'll be able to really kind of coagulate the stories that lead us into the future because this was a very strange experience of life in football. And I, and I, I think that some of the this post-COVID era time needs to kind of come in for us to see back a little bit better. Because right now it just feels like a million things happened. So here are a few that did that I thought were kind of Notable. Hansi Flick. I'll start there. He came in. I I honestly had never heard of Hansi Flick. I mean, I, I know he was around and played for Bayern, played for Germany. All the, but Hansi Flick is not someone I knew. And all of a sudden, they sack Niko Kovac, bring him in, and the turnaround was amazing. It produced the most unbelievable year of champagne football we had probably ever seen. Bayern were, I mean, I, I a team that kind of did this year of total dominance and it didn't look like it was a project that had been in the making for a while. It wasn't like Liverpool when they finally won their champions league, you were like, this has been coming, right? This was just out of nowhere. It felt like, you know, just like reassembled some of the pieces and they were winning everything, absolutely everything. And they were just so impressive while doing it. Then there was the German coach domino in Germany, something like we'd never seen before. I mean, in Germany, I remember always thinking, it's interesting. They just announced transfers like really early. I remember when I was a teenager that Bayern would announce that they were signing like, you know, whoever. I think maybe it was Giovanni Elber when they signed him from Werder Bremen. Or, uh, bring this guy over. They, they'd say it three months before the season's over. And I always thought that's kind of weird and interesting. How's that guy like playing? The whole team knows he's leaving. It's got to be kind of weird, right? Well, this year, we got to see this on a whole new level where coaches were just being picked off by one club to another. The domino went all the way down. And every single team that announced that their coach was leaving basically suffered a huge dip in form. And so this was just a fascinating storyline to, to behold. Schalke. What happened to Schalke? They were astonishingly bad. A club of this size who just a couple of years ago we're challenging for European football spots, and that's where they should be. And in the last year, I mean, it was amazing. I think they they went almost an entire year without winning a single game, managed to win one, and everyone was like, oh, maybe they're going to turn things around. And no, they just careened straight into Bundesliga 2. So we will see what happens with them next season, if they can come back. But to watch a club just fall apart on so many levels like that, it, it's, it's kind of amazing, especially – when a club like that can kind of encapsulate the times, like despair, pandemic, no one in the grounds, no inspiration, relegation. I mean, that that kind of is what it felt like. Also in Germany, Holland. Erling brought Holland. Look, this guy lit up the world this year, showed everybody how excited we can be about him, Kylian Mbappe, and a whole host of other young players. And meanwhile, Lewandowski, closer to the tail end of his career, cemented his place in history with by beating Gerd Muller's 40-goal record in a season. R- really an amazing set of achievements, and it's cool to see this young guy coming up, pushing it, dominating games, scoring goals at will, and then this older guy who has been doing it for a long, long time who finally breaks a record that I- I'm sure uh, he-, he never really thought, I'm going to get that far. And so this season, as he got closer and closer and closer, 
you know, the guy to think to himself, I'm about to make some kind of history here. So big props to Robert Lewandowski, big props to Erling Brat Holland for making us excited about number nines again, right? Kareem Benzema deserves a mention in there as well, and this is where we'll move to Spain. I have to say Kareem Benzema's form over the last 18 months was so good that Didier Deschamps had to call him back into the France team, quash a big amount of beef. We've talked about this recently, but I think that that's a big one. The funny thing is about Real Madrid is they're in need of a big rebuild, and Zizou doesn't look like he's going to stick around. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but there's so much that needs to happen at Real Madrid. And even worse yet, is Barcelona. The position that they are in is is amazing. I mean, they were told by Lionel Messi that he would be leaving, that he wanted to go. Then they have a change in overall club leadership, change of presidency. And now, you know, they limply walk out of the title race at the very end. They fall off. And the question is, what's next for Barcelona? They're in financial ruin right now. They don't seem to have a clear path forward that excites anybody. I think everyone's a little bit more worried about where they're going. And this is an amazing thing that Atletico were able to beat Barca and Real Madrid to a title in a year where they were bad. And now the question is, how long is it going to take for Real Madrid and Barcelona to be good again? Barcelona really have reached the end of a cycle. That era that began with, you know, Ronaldinho and then filtered into the Pep Guardiola years. It's it. It. it it is now just relying on what can Messi do if he stays. It looks like Cunaguero may be going. That may be the key that helps him stick around. I don't know. But very, very fascinating thing to see how Spain is going to shake out in the next few months. Are smaller teams going to maybe be able to come up and catch up? And could we have another surprise title winner there next season? The women's game had another huge, huge year, another, another breakout year. Every single year seems like another breakout one. As the standard just rises, right? More teams, more players become people you know about and people you pay attention to. There's one player who I did not know about at the start of this season was Pernilla Harder. Maybe that's kind of embarrassing. I just wasn't paying attention to Wolfsburg's women as much. as much, And I didn't notice her at the last World Cup. She never really stuck out to me. So just another example of someone who I got to pay attention to and see. Got to watch a lot more women's football because of Atta football because of just the overall broadcasting and investment that has gone into the game is now to the point where it's around and it's going to grow. The, the Olympics this summer are going to be a great showcase for it. Really excited for that. hope everyone else is too because, hey, I think it's going to be quality. Another interesting storyline. Well, it's not really a storyline. It's an ongoing thing. It's VAR. I, I think for any of you who are strictly English Premier League fans, you need to watch other leagues and see the way VAR is done in other places because in some leagues, I think it is much better. I think in the MLS, it is done far, far better. They do not throw the lines down on the field to figure out offside. They pretty much just take a replay and decide whether or not it's a clear and obvious offside. And they get on with things much, much quicker. It's actually funny. Howard Webb is the the referee who's in charge of VAR in the United States, and it is better. It just is. And so I, I, I implore all of you who are English Premier League fans to not just throw throw away the idea of VAR because you've watched how bad people like Mike Dean handle it. So what I'm hoping is for a relook at all the regulations this summer, handball rule, the way offside is done, the way VAR manages itself, 
there's an enormous amount of growth that can happen here. And once again, I think it's important that we as fans we make our make our feelings heard on these kinds of things and that we have constructive conversations because it doesn't do anything to just say get rid of VAR because you're going to want it again the next time that someone ha- purposely punches a ball in the net and wins a cup final. So it's going to be very interesting to see where VAR goes and how the rule changes happen this summer. But I am optimistic. I really am. <clears throat> and really, I'm optimistic in large part because of what happened with the Super League. Probably the biggest story of the year. The debacle that took place had to be one of just the weirdest couple days to be a football fan. Uh, at one moment, you're thinking, this might ruin so much of the game. And it's probably going to happen because guess what? People with money and power, they get what they want in our world. And then to see a fan revolution almost a surf revolution to come up and quash the whole thing in just a matter of days. That was super impressive and exciting. And yeah, again, it gives you great optimism for the future. The thing is, we know that Europe, a lot of the a lot of the rest of Europe, especially the powerhouse teams throughout Europe, they're pretty worried about the English league sort of running away with all of the financial, political, and sporting power in Europe. They don't want England to just start dominating every single aspect of the game. And so I think this is where Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus saw the European Super League as a way to keep up with the English and sort of lock in this group so that the rest of the English League doesn't really get that much more powerful because the big six are not in it anymore. I don't know, maybe that maybe I'm wrong, but I do think that a lot of clubs throughout Europe and a lot of leagues, especially those big ones, they don't like the idea that England may be able to at some point say, hey, we need ch- six Champions League spots because we have six teams that can play in it. Uh, how will FIFA and UEFA reform themselves over the next couple of years? Because they looked like they got out of the European Super League thing looking good. Alexander Seferin looking like, you know, the white knight. But at the end of it, we all know they're corrupt. We all know they want their piece of the pie. So, again, fans just... Being put on notice of all of this is is a good thing for everyone in the future. And the conversations are going to get better and better and better. And now we have a new competition in light of all this, right? The Europa Conference League has been uh, created. By the way, haters, get lost. I don't want to hear it. If you don't care about the Europa Conference League, if you don't care about the teams who are in it, it's really simple. Do not watch it. It does nothing positive for people to come out and say this competition is just a dilution it's just more teams it's just a way for UEFA to make more money okay stop think for a second about a team like Levski Sofia okay playing the Bulgarian league if they win their league they get a qualification spot for the Champions League so third round qualification something like that right now maybe they win the first round of qualification but let's say in the second round they have to play against a big, a bigger team, just from a, a bigger club with bigger resources, and they lose. Well, that's it. Their European dreams are over. They won a title. They did. They win a whole season. They win a title in their country, and they get two European games. Okay, maybe they can't compete with the top level. Maybe they can't even compete with the Europa League level on a consistent basis. But there is a ton of clubs who have massive fan bases, right? These people get 40,000, 50,000 people at every game, when there's fans allowed, of course. And they have a huge amount of support. They're big for their community. So 
imagine to these people what it would mean to go and play a European Cup final. Even if you're playing against young boys and not Man United, to be able to lift a European Cup trophy, I mean, that's significant. And why not give the opportunity to clubs to be able to do that? Again, if you don't want to watch it, don't. If you don't want to think about it, report on it, or have a clue what's going on with it, you don't have to. But I actually think it's kind of exciting for a lot of us podcasters and people who comment on the game. This is another layer. This is something else. A lot of storylines are going to come out of this. So I think it's a good thing. Like I said, haters get lost. If you don't want it, just just turn away. No one needs you. No one needs your uh, negativity on this. And we'll see what happens with everything as we go into the summer. The way that Europe is going to really reform itself with football and and, and what's going to happen with fans, the way they're going to re-enter stadiums, at what rate, by when are we going to see 100% full grounds again? Very, very curious. But like I said, this is optimistic. And so we finally reach this crescendo where it feels like we're so relieved that the season is over in a way. Maybe you aren't. I personally am. I'm really not happy that we get a little bit of a break from this consistent daily rigmarole of always wondering what's going to happen next. And as much as I love that part of football, it's going to be nice to take a couple weeks to maybe just zoom out and just think about the future a little bit. Not just the future of football, but the future of all of our lives. Because we are entering a brand new era, everybody. There is no doubt about it. As the world slowly gets itself vaccinated from this thing, as we start to reemerge and rebuild and come up with brand new ideas, business ideas, technological advancements, everything is going to be really interesting in the next 18 months when you come out of something like a pandemic, a global event. This is exciting. And I just hope that football can just ride that coattail and get some really positive changes within it as well and it's for all of us to pay attention report on them and then share the love of the game with each other as we all do thanks so much this is campfire football 